Amen. You may be seated. Um, one of the things I love, I have my phone in front of me about our online community is uh, the ability to share prayer requests. And so I'll share these with the folks, in, this one with the folks in the room. Kendall Waugh has shared about her brother-in-law, uh, Dale Fox, who had an ATV accident last night and is uh, at Baptist Hospital. And so uh, I love uh, seeing how you are responding, that you are uh, praying for each other, uh, praying for her, uh, love the interaction. And uh, indeed, uh, what Kendall is sharing is so fitting also for the sermon this morning. Uh, more than one time, perhaps, in your life, uh, you have used the phrase, I never saw it coming, or I remember it like it was yesterday. Or I never could have imagined. That is the essence of life on this planet. There is more unexpected than expected that happens to us. Uh, There seems to be more unplanned than planned. Uh, Life here is fraught with trials, with burdens, with difficulties, with pain. And so this morning, we are going to look, as we continue to do, at this thing called hope, at what James, half-brother of Jesus, uh, he says in verse 1, he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's got a Jewish audience who's been scattered Uh, Perhaps they were scattered because of all the turmoil that went on in Jerusalem. In 68 AD, Jerusalem fell. Uh, Jews scattered everywhere. And he speaks into their scatteredness. And when he does, he speaks into it. And as he does, the result is that we discover some things about a trial and hope that we need to know. So this morning we'll look at three characteristics of trials. Number one, the anatomy of a trial. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He begins this section with the word count. It is not a feeling word, it is a thinking word. You must remember that, and he says to think joy. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? How do you think an emotion? Well, joy here isn't an emotion. It is a state of mind, or James wouldn't have said think it. So by virtue of the fact that he says think joy, it means that joy for a follower of Jesus is a state of mind. It is a mindset, if you will. Think joy. When you do what? Meet. It's an interesting word. It means to fall into. When you meet trials of various kinds, if you are... A sane person, you don't go looking for trials. They come looking for you. Unless you want to do yourself or others harm, you don't go looking for trials. Trials have a way of finding you. They have a way of coming to your house. 
they have an element of surprise of the unexpected. The cancer diagnosis is a total surprise, even when someone has been sick for a long time and they die, it still is surprising. There's still the, I knew they were going to die, but it feels so unexpected. I'm thinking right now of the remarkably difficult decision that the Childers family in our church is making regarding their son's health. That's an unanticipated trial. I'm thinking of what the Helmses are experiencing day in and day out with little May Lee. Of course they knew when they adopted her. They knew her medical condition. Angela does that for a living. They knew that, but still to be in the middle of this and in the middle of that. I'm thinking of the Hughes family, of Glenda Glenn, of Diane Brooks, of Kathy Smothers, of Freddie Martin, of Hope Kelly's family, all who have lost loved ones in our church since COVID. One trial stacked on top of another. I'm thinking of black and white people in our church I'm thinking of law enforcement and, and, and fire personnel in our church who find themselves caught up in different ways in confusion in our country. I'm thinking of people who have lost their jobs, of small business owners who have lost their livelihood, of people who cannot see their loved ones who are in long-term care facilities. All of this a surprise all of this unexpected, I'm thinking of people going through divorce, of the person who has just heard her husband had an affair, of the parents who did not know their son was so deep in or their daughter had given away her body as she did. I'm thinking of just a few years ago, Evelyn Langley's unexpected diagnosis of the autoimmune disease or how healthy Edna Grindstaff was until she got the same diagnosis. Unexpected. Unforeseen. You don't go looking for trials. They come looking for us. They, they, they search us out. This week when you meet with life groups, some are taking the summer off. If yours isn't, here's your question. What is the most unexpected trial you have ever faced? How did you respond? In all of this, James says to think joy, to think it, to think joy. I'm not asking you to feel anything. This is one of those sermons I'll ask you to think first and feel later. Think joy. That's the anatomy of a trial. We fall upon them. They're, they're surprising and they're various kinds, that word various, variegated if you look at a plant, it's a plant that has different hues of green in the same leaf. That's a variegated leaf. Trials are like that. They're of all shapes and colors and sizes. Secondly is the purpose of a trial. Look at verse 3. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now follow James. He's not in a feeling word. This is in a knowing word, right? We're thinking joy and we're knowing something. We're not feeling anything at this point. You know the testing. That word means proving Danielle Henderson wrote our lesson a couple weeks ago for life groups, and I quote her. She writes, unrefined gold generally contains other elements such as silver or copper. This is why it has to go through the refining process and have those impurities removed. They are not part of the gold. They're not meant to be there. We need to be proven. We need to be tested. As graduates are in the room and joining us online this morning, I will say to you, it has never been my aim as your pastor to somehow equip your parents to offer you a worry-free life. No. If your parents do that, if they fight every battle for you, you will never learn how to fight your own. You will never learn how to stand up and face the world in which we live. Untested faith is weak faith. Untested faith has impurities in them that are yet to be worked out, yet to be burned at such a high level of heat that what is left is pure gold. I would say to you, as we are in week maybe 13 of worshiping in this most unusual way, if you come through COVID-19 and you are better and not bitter, you have somehow managed to get up above the fray of fear and the fray of confusion, you, my friends, will be stronger. You, my friends, will have more courage. You, as graduates, will know how to step into a world and step out and speak up and speak into, and God will use you in remarkable ways as we, as your parents, step back and watch God just work through you. He will do in and through you things he never would have done through us. Why? I didn't go through this when I was 18. I'm going through it as a 52-year-old, having endured all kinds of trials. You're facing it as an 18-year-old. That is not by accident. God is raising you up to send you out. God is testing you to get rid of some things. Endure the test. Stand up under it. Untested faith is weak faith. His nickname is Sully. His real name, Chelsea Sullenberger. No one really knew who he was, though he had quite a career until a cold January 15, 2009 morning when his flight took off from LaGuardia and a flock of birds decided to fly into both engines. He did quick calculations, tried to get back, realized he couldn't, and landed his plane in the Hudson River. No one died. No one. A few years ago, Wendy won an award with work, and we were treated to a great trip to Las Vegas, and Sully spoke.
we sat there just a few feet from the stage and listened to him speak of that experience and that was also coincided with the release of the movie about that same event, which we were able to go watch just after he spoke. When Sully spoke about that day, that fateful day, he did not talk of luck. He did not talk of chance. He said two things. We're all trained to do that. Every one of us pilots, we are trained to land a plane in the water. Number two, he said, that wasn't the first trial I'd faced as a pilot. That wasn't the first problem I'd solved in the cockpit. That's what James is talking about. It is all the trials that come before that works out, right, that purifies, that gets rid of the dross on the silver. Untested faith is weak faith. Practice may test you. It may push you to the limit, but it's the real game which is the ultimate test. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word steadfast is a combination word in Greek. It's a compound word. It means to remain under. Steadfastness is staying under power. It implies that the trial does not go away. So if the trial doesn't go away, you don't go away either. You stand the test of time. You remain under. I'm looking back in the crowd and I see Chris, one of our ushers who's come in for training. Chris, who had to step away from his barber shop only for the rains to come and compromise his roof and flood it while he's away. One trial stacked on top of another. Went back to him, spoke to him, upbeat, energetic, still ready to roll. Untested faith is weak faith. This leads to the result of trials. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I read that, I discover that steadfastness can be incompletely formed. You can start and not finish. Again, I would say to you as parents, all of you, this is where at times you will have to step back and let your kids suffer. It takes wisdom to know when to do that. It takes wisdom to know when do I let them suffer? When do I let them take the brunt of this? When do I step in? How does that work? I must say to you as a dad, Wendy and I pray through that. We have with both our kids, we pray through that. God, what do we do here? Do we pull back and say nothing here? How does this work here? How do we do this? 
I know years ago when Trent went through extreme anxiety, Glenda Glenn was his counselor at Old Fort. For, for weeks, every single day, I left him crying. I left him with Glenda, and I turned and walked away. I knew he had to figure this out. I could not live my life with him. Sometimes I get in my truck and weep. But I didn't know what else to do. And Glenda would text me on more than one occasion and say, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And I needed desperately as a dad to hear that. It didn't make sense to me. None of it made sense to me. It didn't make sense to Trent. It made sense to none of us. We couldn't figure out why. I know you've heard this. You've probably heard everything I'm saying this morning. I'm just reminding you of stuff you already know. But I went again and looked at what it takes for a butterfly to become a butterfly this week. I don't cease to be fascinated by that. I read through about these little micro discs that, that are floating around in that soup, in that larva, and, and then all of a sudden they become a butterfly. Like It's amazing what's bound up in that. So fascinating. But the truth is, if you accelerate that process, you will have a butterfly with bad wings. There's a toil, there's a laboring, there is a, a time-tested process. This indeed is the challenge. Will, will you, will you suffer? Yes. Will we, grads, as your mom and dad let you? We better. We better. I know that isn't, cha- I know that isn't popular. I'm not up here, never have been to be popular. Steadfastness can be incompletely formed. Do you know the most profound example of this, I think, is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? That's a true wrestling between a son and his dad. He's talking directly to his father. He says, Father, could could you let this pass? Do I really have to drink this cup? I've never been there as a dad. And we know, not because we heard an audible voice in the garden, but because Jesus got up from the garden, was kissed by Judas to betray him, was beaten until he almost died, was hung on a cross for our sins, and gloriously resurrected three days later. We know that the Father didn't say, you don't have to drink this cup. As a matter of fact, if you read Isaiah 53, it says those quite unthinkable words, it was the will of God to crush him. Why? 
for all of you who join online now and later, for all of you who sit in this room, for all who ever will, who are lost in your sin and desperately in need of a Savior. God told his son to drink the cup of wrath that should have been ours. Hearing that just causes me to sigh. Jesus' steadfastness was completely formed. So what is the result so that you may be perfect and complete? Well, if you were to be able to see this verse in the Greek as I do each week and study, you would realize perfect and complete are the same word. It's the same word. So it could read so that you may be perfect and perfect, or you may be complete and complete, or you may be full and full. It's an interesting word. We could go into all of it. It's a word that's been studied for many, many years. It's a neat, neat, fascinating word. I'll give you the, the word telos. Telos, it means an end. Uh, you, you think telescope is it zooms in on something and brings it near. It, it, that's the word. What does that mean then? What does it mean to be perfect and perfect, full and full, complete and complete? Uh, I cannot go into the, all the depths of the meaning in, in the amount of time I have today, but I, I could give you an application question that does. As you get older, you should get better. That's what it means. As you get older, you should get better. That's what it means. That you're perfect and perfect, full and full, complete and complete. So never mind all the nuances of the meaning of the word. That'll slap us right in the face, won't it? Let's just deal with the application of it. In life group this week, you'll ask and answer the question, how have you seen your influence grow as you have gotten older? How have you seen it grow? So I want to ask you a question, graduates. Do more people seek you out for counsel as a high school senior than they did as a high school freshman? Did something happen between ninth and 12th grade? You got better. Did that happen to you? Adult, as you get older, is your influence growing? Do others seek you out for counsel? Do they want to sit in your living room and ask about the deeper things of life? Does your time seem to get stretched thin because your grandkids or your kids or coworkers, they, they want to be near you? That's how you apply this. That's a continually formed steadfastness. People realize other people who know how, somehow by the grace of God, to stay under. If your influence is waning, if your leadership is diminishing, look in the mirror. Something has happened. Your steadfastness may be incomplete. It may be incompletely formed. So this is why I encourage you, whatever trial you're facing, whatever you're going through, God will use it for your good and for his glory. He will shape you so that he can show others 
That's what he does. Tozer, and I quoted a couple weeks ago, says, God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Connie Scott sent me this quote this week. It's not often I can quote anything Connie sends, but this one I can. She says, a heart without hurt is a hollow heart. good word. Yesterday, I received word that a man that many of you have never met, some of you have, died. His name is Don Bove. Don was 89 years old and early in the life of this church Don retired at the age of 70 because he had to. They made him. At that time, Don directed United World Mission, all of their international work. Don Bove is the reason we go to Senegal. He is the one who introduced us to the work in Senegal. Don and Barbara led our prayer ministry. They served on our volunteer staff team when I was the only paid person here. And they pushed me constantly to share the gospel. I called Barbara this morning to speak to her. They moved back to New York to be near family several years ago. Barbara could not be with Don as he died after 60-some years of marriage because of COVID. That was so hard for her. She said, we talked every day multiple times until he couldn't talk anymore. He suffered very horribly in his last days. But she said just this week that Don shared with her that one of his nurses came in and he wasn't quite sure where she stood with the Lord. And he said, Ma'am, could I sing you a song? And Don Bove, 89, lying in that hospital bed, began to sing, Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us. Precious Redeemer, risen Lord. And he said, Barb, I don't think she understood, but she will. And then he said, I said, one more. He said, 
Where, she, where could she go? I'm her patient. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Dom Bove shared the gospel. He was not alone in that room. That wasn't his first test. He'd been trained years ago to land a plane in the Hudson River. He had been trained years ago to die alone. Amen. Let's honor our grads.